0: This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. John Feinstein is more than a sports writer, more than a friend. He is a great, a master storyteller that uses sports to tell stories. Um, And in 1986, I think it was 1986, his very first book, A Season on the Brink. He had to take a leave of absence from the Washington Post to write it, and the rest is history. He joins us to talk about Bobby Knight. That's who the book was about. A Season on the Brink was a year in the life, essentially, of Indiana basketball, and he joins us on the Adam Gold Show. Mr. Feinstein, uh, sorry we are meeting under these circumstances, but thank you for the time. Uh, quick, uh, I'll let you start where you want to start when it comes to Bobby Knight.
1: Oh gosh, you know the problem is once you get started, it's hard to stop. Okay, well because uh, he he's such a unique and unique is an overused word since it means one of a kind um, and uh, fascinating uh, person. That's why season on the brink was as successful as it was. That and the access that he gave me. That season, I had complete access to everything, um, and he never backed away from it. And I will always be thankful to him for the fact that I basically have gotten to pick and choose my book subjects ever since then. He is also, or excuse me, was also. I'm still a fan. Yeah. Um, uh, he could. He was a bully. He was a misogynist. Uh, he could be very cruel to people, uh, often as players. He was also extraordinarily loyal at times, not all the time. Don't ask Mike Shoshevsky if right. he's extraordinarily loyal, and among others, Steve Alford, and some others. Um, so he was dichotomous. Uh, I've often said that the good Bob Knight was as good as anybody I've ever met. Smart, great coach, obviously entertaining, and loyal at times. Uh, the bad Bob Knight was as bad as anybody I've met uh, in sports. Um, uh, bully, he could turn on people, he had his own unique, um, uh, definition of loyalty. It often went one way you be loyal to me, and I'll decide if you're gonna be loyal. To so, it, you, you could go on and on about all the things that Bob Knight was. Um, and he's been sick for a number of years, as I think you know. Yeah. Uh, He had dementia, which is a horrific disease, Uh, and in in a a, a tragic irony, the two men I've known through the years who had the best memories of anybody in in sports were Bob Knight and Dean Smith, and they both died of dementia.
0: Yeah, I I think dementia is a disease that impacts the the other pe the people around them more right. than than the you know the people who are suffering from it uh, as well let, let yeah, me God. let me ask you this because you say, uh, we talked to Mike deCourcy earlier, uh, who uh, co- did some uh, coverage of Bob Knight related a story uh, about being generally disdainful of the media. so yeah, I think that's my question of you of of you is, why did Bob Knight allow you the access what what was your relationship before this um because this is unique you spent six months with them so what was what was the relationship that you had before if any and why did he allow you in
1: well uh, I did have a relationship with him I first covered him. In 1981, when they were on their way to their second national championship, his second national
0: championship, right. um,
1: my friend Dave Kenyard, who was a colleague of mine at the Washington Post at the time, introduced me to him. Okay. Uh, and Dave had known him well since the early 70s when he was working in Louisville. And Knight, again, part of his personality, if he liked you, you were his best friend. If he didn't like you, he hated your guts. <laughs> there, there was really no I, I experienced both. Um, And after Dave introduced me, as I said, I was covering um, Indiana in the tournament, I covered all six of their games because their first game was against Maryland. You may remember that game. (laughs) Um, And uh, so because I was from the Washington Post, and I knew which papers were more important than others, and because of my friendship with Kindred, he treated me during that tournament as if he knew me, which he didn't. And... Uh, a couple of years later, I wrote a piece for Sporting News on his assistant coaches who had been successful. At that point, there were quite a few. Krzyzewski was coming into his own at Duke. Uh, Dave Bliss was a star at the time at SMU. Uh, Bob Weltlick, who almost got the Duke job yeah. uh, when Krzyzewski got it. Uh, was it at, was it uh, Mississippi? So I wrote this piece about why 90, ex-assistants became good head coaches. And I literally couldn't find him. Talk to him during the summer um, because he was fishing or playing a yeah. golf tournament or whatever, and literally ran into him in O'Hare Airport. He was going to a golf tournament, and I reintroduced myself, told him what I was doing, and he said, "Well, I've got some time. Let's talk right now." And so he was very good, and I wrote the piece, and I got a phone call from him uh, saying, "Hey, I wanted you to know how much I enjoyed the piece and." You, you know, you, you really did a good job. And anytime you're out here, let me know. And so I did. Uh, I went out to write a piece on him as the Olympic coach. I spent two days with him, and then when he, right after he threw the chair, <laughs> there, yeah. Excuse me, bet bet. I said it wrong. Right before he threw the chair, when he was struggling with his 85 team, I went out there and spent two more days with him and got complete access, practice, locker room, coaches' meetings. And when he did throw the chair, I wrote this very detailed piece about why he was so frustrated with the season, and he called me again and invited me to a dinner he had years ago at the Final Four, back when the Final Four was played in the afternoon on Saturdays or late afternoon, and invited me to that dinner with his coaching buddies and things, and I thought, well, he's really inviting me into his circle here. And I thought, if I could have the kind of access I had for two days for a season, yeah, there's a book there. And as you mentioned, I'd never written a book. And the funniest thing, thing is, after the dinner, I said, to him, Bob, have you got a few minutes? And he said, yeah, sure, come on back to the room. Well, he was rooming with Pete Newell, the great teacher. <laughs>
0: 0013, Or text Adam to six hundred seven hundred. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor.
1: Sheshewski came back to the room because he and Knight were doing a clinic together the next day. And they wanted to discuss what they were going to do in the clinic. So I sat and waited while they did that. And then Bob turned to me and said, What can I do for you, John? So I told him I had this idea. And he said, Have you ever written a book? I said, No. He said, Do you have a publisher? And I said, didn't think it made much sense to get a publisher until and unless you said yes. And he said, well, that was good thinking. <laughs> so, listen, if you can get a publisher, come on out. And talk fine, thanks. I knew nothing about getting a publisher at that point. Krzyzewski and I walk out the door, and the minute the door closes, he looks at me and goes, are you out of your blanket mind? And I said, what? He said, you're volunteering to spend a winter with him? <laughs> I know what it's like. And he pointed a finger at me and said, no, you don't. Two days, And I said, well, I'm going to try to do it anyway, figuring I'd probably never get a publisher. And five publishers turned the book down. And finally, McMillan offered me a small advance, and I just wanted to do it. So I, I did not take Chesty's advice, fortunately. Although, oh, let me say this. He was absolutely... I had no idea what I was getting into. And <laughs> often after I'd been out in Bloomington for about a week, and I said, okay, now I get it. <laughs> and fortunately, I was able to survive the winter, and as you said, the rest is history.
0: Did Bob Knight still like you after the book? He liked me
1: until he read the book. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and it, But the, the weird thing was, when I, by the time I left Bloomington, I knew that when I, I sent him a copy of the book, he was going to look at it and find something wrong. He wasn't going to call me and say, oh, John, you did a great job. That's
0: right. just not who he ever
1: was. And I didn't know what he would like. And when Royce Waldman, then one of the assistants, called me after I sent the book out and said, this is your official phone call, Coach's piss," <laughs> And I said, okay, fine. Well, what's he pissed about? He said, well, you left his profanity in the book. I started laughing. I said, no, seriously, Royce, what's he upset about? He said, no, that's it. You were supposed to leave his profanity out. I said, no, I wasn't. I specifically told him that the word, his favorite word that rhymes with luck and duck, had to be in the book, or the book would have no credibility. Because everybody in the world knew how much he cursed. Right. And he said, well, he's upset. And, so, you know, eight years later, we started speaking again.
0: That's not bad. Eight, it only took uh, it only took eight years. Eight uh, years. No, I think I was very lucky because he saw
1: me in a, a TV interview at an Indianapolis State TV station when I was writing something about Larry Brown. And the guy said, how would you compare Larry Brown to Bob Knight? And I said, well, they're entirely different. Larry's proven he can go anywhere and coach at any level and be successful. And Bob has proven that he can be the target every year and stand up to it, and, and, and still went. And they're both great coaches. And Bob said later he was surprised that I didn't slide in a shot or something like that. He <laughs> said that's what he would have done. And uh, I was in Hawaii with Maryland covering the Maui Classic, and Indiana was playing, and Gary Williams and I ran into night in tonight in the hotel lobby, and he stopped. And Gary, i would never forget Gary, going, uh-oh, here we go. And he said, John, Gary, how are you guys? You know, and he said, John, I heard you just became a father. Congratulations. How's it going? And acted like we were still good friends. I don't right. know about best friends, but good friends. And walked away after a few minutes. And Gary, looked at me and he said, after all the names, he called you. And he called me a lot of them. said, <laughs> you know, uh, why would you speak to him? I said, because he built my house, Gary.
0: <laughs> 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 All right. Before I let you go, John Feinstein, I appreciate your time. I'm I am curious your thoughts because you knew both men, and you know uh, you know Mike Shustevsky obviously very well. What do you think? Because coaches being obviously very quiet about this, they released a statement last night. We talked to Jay Billis earlier, and he got again it gave us some insight. But you, from your perspective, what do you think Mike Shustevsky is feeling today? About uh, the passing of somebody he referred to as a mentor.
1: Well, he was a mentor. There's no doubt. Right. And uh, and when Mike got elected to the Hall of Fame, he and Knight hadn't spoken for nine years after the Minneapolis incident, as we call it. And uh, he called Knight, and he said, Coach, I don't even know why we're mad at each other anymore, but I wouldn't be going in the Hall of Fame if I hadn't played for you in coaching. You. So, I would like you to give uh, my induction speech at night, I, And night, I was touched by that. He said, he, he said I, would, I would be honored Mike." him. So he gave a great induction speech. And for a while, they were okay again. And then there was another incident um, at Pinehurst during a reunion of Army, former Army players and coaches. And that was essentially the last time they spoke to him. After. And I think Mike today is like me. He's sad. He's particularly sad, I'm sure, because we've talked about it, that Knight died the way he did because it's such a horrible disease. Um, but I, I doubt if he's feeling any particular loss in terms of what his life is today uh, at this moment. And, I, you know, it's just Bob Knight, as I said, you either loved him or hated him. And I think one thing Mike and I share is the different moments we've done both.
0: John Feinstein at Feinstein Books on Twitter. The first of I don't know a thousand, uh, a season on the brink uh, was uh, was a. a you got my fiftieth
1: Adam for <laughs> right now.
0: You you're you're working on? Would you say your fiftieth? Yes, Inclu- including the children's books. Yeah, right. The children's books are all great. Uh, they're all great. All the books Thank you. are great. Uh, I guess, I, so I, we can schedule our next conversation. Hopefully we'll talk uh, before uh, before that one. John, I appreciate your time always, sir. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Adam. Good to talk to you as always. You
0: got it. At Feinstein Books on Twitter. Uh, fi- working on 50. <laughs> My gosh, I'm not sure I've read 50 books. I've read most of John's. Yeah, well, I grew up at a
1: time where it was forced down our face well, to yes. read books. So. It was. So, yes.
0: We we had to read several books a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. I've read. Uh, I've read more than fifty.